Well, again, good morning. Merry Christmas. <laughs> wow. I'm glad you're here. It's a good thing. They tell you, uh, even without September snow, it is so easy to get sideways in life, isn't it? it you know, things don't, don't always go how we think that they will, and even less often do they go how we want them to go, right? Getting used to that and learning not to let it derail you in a sense, that's just a part of growing up, isn't it? It's just a part of life that you've got to get used to. But different people will respond to this challenge differently. Unfortunately, a lot of people become cynical, right? Or, or, or pessimistic. Others become overly cautious. A few even become fatalistic, uh, disappointment prompts some people to try harder. Okay, that, that can be good. Uh, well, others, it prompts them to just quit trying. Uh, some people get mad. Other people get discouraged. Some people get really focused, even obsessed. But everyone has to deal with disappointment. Now, for the Christian, I, I honestly think it can actually be especially challenging when, just like for everyone else, things don't go the way that we thought they would. When things don't work out the way that we want, don't we often stop and think, but, but wait, wait a minute. Isn't God on my side? Uh, aren't I on God's side? And, and if that's true, and if God is good, and if God is all-powerful, and if God is sovereign, and then shouldn't we at least get the good things that we want? I mean, I, I get why God doesn't give me a Maserati, but why doesn't he give me the good things that I ask for? Shouldn't our lives, at least on some level, be, well, a bit charmed? What the Christian has to remember is that the story of life isn't about us. It's not about us. If it seems that God isn't following our plan, it's because he isn't. He isn't. It isn't about us. He has his own plan, and he always does the absolutely perfect thing to accomplish his will, not mine not yours. You see, God has a plan and he is working it out in our day and through our lives. Did you catch that? Don't miss that. It's not just that God has a plan, but he is working that plan out in the midst of our time and in the midst of our lives. We are a part of it all. We're, we're not the star of the show. It isn't about us. We're supporting actors. We are servants of the King. And you and I, we're here to build his kingdom, to tell his story, to seek his glory. You and I, we are to see our lives not as being for us, for our pleasure and our fulfillment, but we are to see our lives as offerings. Offerings that, that are to be expended in seeking his glory and building his kingdom.
And when we do that, when we adopt that perspective, it enables us to enjoy the good things of life when they come without letting them become the reason for our living so that when they fail, we can keep moving forward with our eyes on heavenly things. As followers of Christ, we have to learn to live for those heavenly things. We have to learn to live for his kingdom rather than, than following into that default mode, that the mode that we're automatically in every morning when we wake up of living for ourselves. And let's understand this. In today's world, it's a foreign concept to not live for yourself. And yet that is exactly how Scripture defines the Christian life. In the midst of a world that trains us to be self-focused and self-seeking, Jesus tells us that he wants his followers to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me there in Mark 8. He says that we're not just to merely admire his teaching, but we are, are to follow Jesus' teaching and his sacrifice as well. We're not just to admire him, we are to emulate, to follow after him, to follow his lead. And Jesus calls us as well to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he promises that when we do that, all these things, all the things that we need will be provided for us there in Matthew 6. We are to prioritize not our things in our life, but we are to prioritize his kingdom, his objectives, and we are to trust him for the things that we need. God's word, Colossians chapter 3, tells us that we're to set our minds, give our thoughts, put our focus on the things above not on earthly things. In other words, we're to give our time, our energy, our thoughts, our resources. We're to be focused upon achieving his objectives. What God's word tells us is as followers of Christ, we are to live for Christ. And not just on Sundays, not just after the workday is done, but every day, every moment, in everything that we do. We are to spend ourselves pursuing his goals and his objectives. Now, if we can remember that that that's, that that's the way life is supposed to work for the follower of Christ, if we can remember that objective and, and that it's to build God's kingdom, that that's why we're here, then we're going to be able to make much more sense out of the frustrations and the disappointments and the hurts of life. Uh, we're going to be able to see past our difficulties and hurts and see the good that God is doing uh, through drawing this world to himself. Even if at times his drawing this world comes through his grace being displayed through our pain. If we understand that we are not the center of the story, but we are servants of the king who is seeking to build his kingdom. How life goes will make much more sense. Well, where we pick up this morning in the Gospel of Luke, that's the very story that we see played out before us. 
God is working toward his objective of reconciling mankind back to himself. And the Lord does this in the midst of the brokenness and hurt of an old couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 and go down to verse 5. We're going to read verses 5 through 25. I'll read. You can follow along. I am going to ask you to stand out of respect for the Word of God as we read our text for this morning. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Let's pray. Father, speak to us from your word. God, I pray that you would focus our attention. You'd soften our hearts. You'd sharpen our minds. God, that each and every one of us would hear you speaking to us this morning. 
work in this time. Be our teacher, Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So in this passage, we see two stories. The most obvious one, the one that we notice first, it's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. The story of the old man and the old women who, who didn't have a child, and God met them in a, in a very unusual way. But there's another story there as well. It's God's story. The story of God seeking to reconcile this world to himself. Let's take a look at the first story first. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, beginning there in verse 5, again in the days of King Herod of Judea. If you remember from last week, King Herod, he's a real person from a real time in history who reigned over a real territory. There's no myth, there's no fairy table, tale, no fairy tale or table, no fairy tables at all, or chairs. There's none of that. It's real. It's actual. These things happened. And so in the days of King Herod, there was a priest of Abijah's division. So they had divided the priests up from, from David's time into groups who would take turns serving at the temple. And it's Zechariah and his wife, who was also of the priestly family, a daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. So here is a couple who had given their lives to serving the Lord, who were honoring the Lord, not only in what they did, but who they were and how they did it. In everything, they sought to honor God, and yet life wasn't going their way. They had no son, no one to care for them in their old age, no one to pass the family on to. You know what? That, that's a painful road, even in our day. We've walked a, a little ways down that road as a family. Some of you have walked down that road. In that day, it was far greater. It was seen as a curse of God if you couldn't have children. It, it was an economic reality that you, you were going to be lost in your old age without a son to care for you. So here's this old couple. And I don't know why God chose to do what he did the way that he did it. Why he allowed them to experience so much pain along the way. But I'll tell you this. We're not very useful until we've felt pain. You know, here's reality. You come and tell me about your stuff. You tell me about how you lost an arm or a leg in the war. And immediately, I want to tell you about this time I got this really bad sliver. Because my pain is always worse than yours. My pain is always somehow greater. I mean, I know you, you lost a leg and I had a sliver, but I think it touched a nerve somehow. You know, you know it, it was severe. My pain is always worse than your pain. But there is something about feeling pain. Walking through a season of pain, not hiding from it, not closing yourself off to it, but experiencing pain that changes us. It makes us more tender towards others, more useful in the hand of God. I don't know why God took this couple through the, the passage that he took them through down the road that he took them on. 
I don't know if it had to do with that or maybe it was, it, it was something that was needed for John. You know, God was going to put a call on John's life. What an amazing thing for John to grow up hearing his parents say, God gave you to us. Let me tell you, son, you were a gift from God. There is no way this could have happened without God. Let me tell you, your mama was so old. He said that to John. He did not say that to everyone else, right? He, did, he called himself old and he said she was well along in years. Yeah, he's a smart man. And yet they recognize clearly, if God hadn't done this, it wouldn't happen. What a thing for John to grow up hearing. God made me. God put me here. God has a purpose for my life. Because God does have a purpose for his life. Just like he has a purpose for each of us. Parents, I think it'd be really good if we communicated to our kids the truth. This isn't a trick. It's the truth. The truth that we didn't make them. Okay? I know. Dads, have you ever used that line with your kids? I made you and I can make others like you. Be careful. I, I, I knew, I had a friend who actually began referring to another kid in front of his children. They're like, what? Who's Roger? What are you talking about? I said, oh, that was your older brother. He didn't obey. <laughs> and, and the kid's like, whoa. <laughs> now that might work well, but it also makes you God. It makes you the one who made them. And our kids need to know the truth. They came from God. We're made by God. Are for God. Belong to God. And are called by God to something special. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they followed the Lord, they lived right, and yet things didn't go their way. Because things don't. Things don't automatically go our way. Things aren't automatically easy or pleasant for the Christian. Second uh, Timothy 3 says it plainly. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That following Christ introduces a new element of persecution, of opposition. Now, you and I, we live in a bit of a bubble in regards to persecution. Even other places in our country, if you are a follower of Christ openly, you are going to have more opposition and maybe even some actual persecution. You, you go overseas, you go to places like Vietnam or North Korea or, or to China, and there will be outright persecution for following Christ. You and I, we don't face it as openly, but we do have a whole dynamic that those who are not following Christ don't have, and that's that we are constantly at war. We are constantly at war against our own flesh. Isn't that true? If you are not fighting your flesh, you need to get back up and, keep, and start fighting again. Because your flesh has to be defeated daily. We are constantly at war with our flesh. We are constantly at war with this world in which we live. 
Not that we are against the world, but we are against the ways of the world. We are constantly fighting against the patterns and the designs of this world. And we have an enemy who is very real. We have an enemy who wants to destroy us. The devil is actual. He is real. He is not as great as God. He is, he is a fallen angel. He is lesser than, but he is greater than us. He is opposed to us. And when we become followers of Christ, we come into conflict with all three of those realms, our own flesh, the world in which we live, and the enemy who wants to destroy us. Life as a Christian is not necessarily going to be easy. We're not going to live a charmed life and just get everything we want, but that isn't why we follow the Lord. We don't follow the Lord because we get prizes we don't follow the Lord because if we do, everything is sunshine and lollipops. We follow the Lord because he is worthy of the greatest act of worship that we can ever, ever give. And that's the living of our lives. We worship him because he is worthy. That's what it seems Zechariah was doing. He, he was serving God. He was doing the thing that he was supposed to be doing. Even when God wasn't doing what Zechariah wanted, Zechariah was serving and worshiping God. At verse 8, when his division was on duty, so it's his turn to serve there in the temple. And he is chosen by Lot um, to um, offer the, the sacrifice of the burnt incense. So he receives a great honor. There were many, many priests and very few of them would ever have this honor. He was chosen by lot. They would, they would pull out his, his number. He was the one who got to lead the service that morning, who, who got to go into the, to the holy place just outside of the holy of holies where God's presence was. And, and he would go in alone and he would offer a sacrifice of incense and of worship there to God. Probably the high point of his life. And here's what happened. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of people were praying outside and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, overcome with fear, this great being, this angel from heaven, this one who stood in God's presence comes and stands before Zechariah. And Zechariah isn't like, yo, what's up, man? He's terrified. Anyone who tells you that they saw an angel and high-fived him or, or that they, they went for a ride on Jesus' rainbow unicorn, they're not talking about our Jesus or about any angels that are real because these are creatures of great glory. And he is terrified. He is overwhelmed. And the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Because your prayer has been heard, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will name him John. So God is faithful, not, not because he always does whatever we ask, but he is, he is faithful because he always hears and he always answers our prayers and he always gives us what is best. Even when what he gives us is the answer no. So here, God having withheld children from Zechariah and Elizabeth, he gives them something far greater than just a child, something better than just a son, 
Through them, God gives a signpost to the world. Through Zechariah and Elizabeth, God gives one who would point all who would see, all who would listen to the Messiah who was coming. Verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never drink wine or beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit uh, from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah. Here, even before John is born, God has called him to a ministry. Understand this. Even before John is born, God calls him and says, this is how I'm going to use you. This is your purpose. This is the thing that I have for for you to do. God had given John a specific and a clear assignment. He is going to point all who will listen to the Messiah. He is going to point people to the fact that God is seeking to reconcile the world back to himself. And God sets John apart. Hey, this whole thing that he's never going to drink wine or beer. Uh, probably John the Baptist was what we call a Nazarite. Not someone from Nazareth, but a Nazarite. He was someone who, who set himself apart from this world. He set himself apart special, unique, to be used only by God. Dads, it's like that one tool in, in your workshop or in your garage that you, you tell the kids, don't touch that. You, you don't touch that. That is mine. It is mine to use. It is not yours. It is special for me. It is set apart. It is holy unto me, right? And maybe for you, it isn't a tool. Maybe it's a, a tub of ice cream in the freezer. It is holy unto you. And any child who dares to dip into it, they will find the wrath, right? God is setting John himself apart, you're not going to participate in the stuff of this life and that's going to be symbolically portrayed in that you'll never drink anything that's intoxicating. Uh, if he's in Nazarite, it means he's not going to cut his hair. He's not going to touch anything that's dead. There's all these different th ways that he would be set apart. He would be different as an outward symbol so that people would see you're different. God has set you apart so that they might hear so that they might be pointed to the Messiah. God has set him apart from other people. And God has equipped him. Did you notice that? Equipped him by the power of the Holy Spirit. It said that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from within his mother's womb. Man, this kid starts early. Don't you love seeing a little one worship the Lord? They watch mom and dad. They begin to pick it up. At some point, maybe... You wonder if it's clicked. But it's such a beautiful thing to see a young one just worshiping the Lord openly. <laughs> How about from the mother's womb? That's pretty amazing. He's going to be filled with the Spirit from, from his mother's womb. He is, going to, he is going to walk in the spirit of Elijah. There is going to be a power to his ministry, God says. Because you see, the Lord had a purpose for John, a calling for his life. And not just a task for him to do, but a life for him to live. And so God called him, God set him apart, and God empowered him for it. But Zechariah, 
<laughs> but Zechariah being familiar with disappointment, maybe you can relate to this. He was having a hard time believing that this was going to happen. He's having a hard time believing that what the angel said would happen. So he says, how, how can I know that this is going to happen? Verse 18, for I'm an old man. And my wife, well, she's well along in years. Smart guy, right? And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. It's like, do you think I'm not? I don't know what I'm talking about. Hey, please understand the source of this information which I'm passing along to you. This came from the lips of God himself. I was sent here by God to speak to you, to tell you this good news. Now listen, you can't say anything believing. You can't speak out of faith. I guess you shouldn't speak at all for a while. The angel tells me, listen, here's going to be your sign. You're going to be unable to speak until, until the day this baby's born. You know what? God desires us to have a response of faith to his promises. And I know that we struggle with that, don't we? Good thing is the faith comes from him. He grants us faith to put our faith in him. We put our faith in God. That's what he wants. In fact, Hebrews eleven six tells us that without faith, we can't please God. That that is the thing that pleases him for us to put our faith in him. He wants us to do more than just recognize that he's right. Do you understand that? Being a Christian isn't coming to a place of deciding that, you know what, the whole Bible thing, it's, it's right. God, guess what? He got it right. Agreeing with God is not what it means to be a Christian. Putting your trust in God. Living a life of faith based on what you have now decided. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. It isn't agreeing with him. It's following him. It's putting our faith in him. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. And when he did come out, he could not speak to them. First thing he was supposed to do was to bless the people. He was supposed to go in, burn the incense, linger a moment, but not much longer. And then he was supposed to come out and pronounce the priestly blessing upon the people. Well, he's in there a long time because he's talking with an angel. And the people are like, well, did he die? Did God strike him dead? Maybe he had some secrets in. God just got whack. And eventually Zechariah comes out, but he can't speak the blessing. And it says that he was making signs to them and remained speechless. And when the days of his ministry were completed, he went home. But God was faithful. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace from among the people. God gave a great gift to Zechariah and Elizabeth but he gave it to them in the midst of pain. That doesn't make any sense unless we remember that we're not the center of the story. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they weren't the center of this story. Life, meaning 
your life, my life. It isn't about us. It's about what God is doing in this day, in our community, and through our lives. He's using us as he seeks to reconcile this world to himself. He has placed us here to represent him here. We are characters in God's story of redemption. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to what it says there in verses 18 and 19. Everything is from God. God's in control. Who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Okay, so he has saved us. And we are saved not by our good works, but because of what Christ did. He has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God has saved us and he has now called us, appointed us to be his signposts in this generation. That is, Paul says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to other people in other churches. No, that isn't what it says. If you're shaking your head, yes, you're wrong. No, no, follow along. Who has he committed this, this message of reconciliation to? Is it other Christians in other churches? No, it's to us. It's to you, it's to me. He has entrusted his message of reconciliation to us. He's called us. That's God's story in the midst of this. We saw Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, but let's look at God's story through all of this. There is a greater story here. It is the, the story of God calling, empowering, and setting apart apart John, and not to be a son to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but to be a signpost to the world. Just like God called John the Baptist, you and I, we are called and we are empowered and we are to be set apart that we might be road signs that point others around us to Jesus. That's what John was. That's what John was. In the Gospel of John, written by John the disciple about John the Baptist, here in John chapter 1, verse 23, it says that John replied, John the Baptist replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. John the Baptist says, man, I'm just someone screaming in the crowd. Look at Jesus. I am just pointing the world around me. If you're in earshot... I am going to point you to Jesus. That's what John says. That's my job. I'm just here to point people to Jesus. Now, you might say that's a small job. You know what? If we would just grasp a hold of the fact that that's our job too, I think we would find it to be the, the greatest calling that anyone could ever have. Dear friends, we have been called. Look back at, 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 at um, 2 Corinthians 5. He has given the ministry of reconciliation to us. It is our calling to be the signposts of God, pointing this world to the Savior. 
and he has empowered us by his Holy Spirit. Understand that. You may feel ill-equipped. You may feel lacking in power, unable to do this task that is laid before us, but you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in you because you belong to Christ. And as we submit ourselves to his Holy Spirit, he begins to produce fruit through us. He begins to raise up in the midst of our living love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. None of that is going to come naturally. None of that is going to come from the depths of my heart. It's got to come from the Holy Spirit residing within me. As I submit myself to the Spirit, as I give myself to the Lord, He is going to, he is going to begin to bring these things out through me. And He has empowered me with the gifts of the Spirit. I don't know, that makes some of us kind of nervous. It's like, oh, don't talk about the gifts. People start freaking out, doing weird things. How about if people begin stepping forward in power and effectiveness? How exciting would that be? How about if the church today began to have the impact of the early church? Of the church from any time of revival? because we were allowing the Holy Spirit to raise up the fruits of the Spirit in us, and we were allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to express His gifts through us, valuing the accomplishment of God's objectives higher than our own comfort. What a powerful thing that would be. You know, the Holy Spirit also does a work of encouragement and strengthening. Something that we need terribly. Isn't that true? Listen to, uh, listen to how Luke describes it in Acts chapter 9. There in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. That's a huge area, by the way. So the church throughout all of this area had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit increasing in numbers. Is there any part of that we don't want is there any part of that, that that would not change us radically? We need to allow the Holy Spirit to impact us, to empower us, to be able to live out the calling that God has put upon us. Here is, here is the thing that I think keeps that from happening. We don't recognize that like John, we're to be set apart. We view our lives as our own. We view our lives as our lives to be spent upon our objectives, pursuing our goals, doing our thing. And because we're good people, we are going to throw God a bone and do a little for him on the side. And that isn't Christianity. That's not biblical Christianity. That isn't the picture that this scripture lays out for us. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, his disciple, in 2 Timothy 2.4, and he says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Oh, dear friends, if we would be willing to set ourselves apart to live different from the world around us. 
even in odd ways, to be different because of Jesus. If we would be willing to, to set aside spending our lives for self, these other things would come into play. The power of the Holy Spirit beginning to work through us because we've, we've turned away from sin. We've turned away from frittering our life away on things that won't matter. And God will come in and he will empower us and he will use us and we will begin to see an impact here in this place. I think we miss the mark if we read this passage and we think it's about an old childless couple who finally get their baby boy. Oh, it's about that. But it's about way more than that. It's about the fact that God has a call on each and every one of us. He has had a call on your life from before you were born. Clear back to within your mother's womb. He knew your story. He knew what your life would be and he put a call on you to be his, to be his ambassador. And he has placed in your hands the message of his reconciliation of the world to himself. And he has set you apart. He has called you to live a life different from the world around you. To live a life not for self, but now for Christ. And he offers to empower you. To fill you with his Holy Spirit that the fruit of the Spirit might flow out of your heart. That the gifts of the Spirit might enable you with power to do his work. That the encouragement and the hope that comes only by walking in the Spirit would carry you through the ups and downs and the disappointments of this life. We're called. Will we answer? Father, I pray that you would work in our midst. Lord, that you would stir our hearts. Lord, that we would acknowledge the fact that we are called. God, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't just acknowledge it theoretically or theologically, but Lord, the reality that you have put a call on me personally to live this life for you. To be your ambassador in this place. God, that you have put your message in my hands. That I would be moved forward in delivering it. That I would tell others what you've done for me. How you reconciled me to you. Rescued me from my sin. And how you offered to do that for any and for all. And I pray, Lord, that you would empower us by the work of your Holy Spirit, that we might be effective, we might be encouraged and strengthened. Work in it, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.